Welcome to Equity Evolution. We are your hosts, Alexandria and Dana. We invite you to join us on a journey through the lush landscape of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Have you ever wondered how DEIB intertwines like the roots of ancient trees in making businesses successful? You're not the only one. From big concepts to intricate specifics, we've got the map to navigate you through. So nestle into your favorite spot and explore the DEIB ecosystem with us. As we navigate the world of DEIB, it's about exploring curiosity, evolving understanding, and elevating through action. Let's begin. Hi, welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Equity Evolution. Today, we are going to be answering the question, what does DEIB mean in the workplace? And I want to open that question up to you first, Dana. For you, what does DEIB mean in the workplace? Yeah, well, thank you. I'm happy to be here again with you. This has been very fun. Um, So for me, uh, what it means what it means to me for DIB in the workplace is just uh, a business or organization truly reflecting uh, those uh, words within that framework. So truly showing diversity, truly showing equity, truly showing inclusion, and truly showing belonging. And I know in previous episodes, we have taken the time to break down each of those and what they mean and what they should look like. So um, when I think of what that looks like in the workplace, I I think truly of the the business showing those uh, showing those qualities within their organization, um, as well as making sure that they align again with with the values of uh, the company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And without like going back through, like you just said, we've we've kind of defined what each of those things mean individually and like how they show mm-hmm. up and actions that companies can take to bring in more diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging within the organization. And I think that one of the things, like, what does it mean in a workplace? Mm-hmm. It, it means how do your people thrive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it is the core of the business. Like, how are people interacting with their jobs, with one another, with the customers? It's the foundation. Like, what it yeah. means is who you are as a company and how you're being perceived and presented out into the world. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and then also just uh, it's that it's that peace and understanding of, you know, what when someone steps into this company, maybe as a new employee or, you know, maybe as someone who just wants to work or maybe a sponsor. You know, they want to make sure that they feel that that you're doing this work, that you that I came in here and I see the the difference and I see you doing the work. And I, I could feel that the people around me love to be here specifically because you are encompassing all of this work and you're you're putting this framework into play within your organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the questions that I hear a lot too is, you know, how do I know I need a DEIB mm-hmm. program? And mm-hmm. I think that that's an interesting question because like the simple answer is everybody needs them. Every mm-hmm. single company needs diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging programs because if we don't focus on it, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But to me, that really highlights this thought process that's in the ecosystem of well, if I'm profitable and I'm successful, like there's not a problem. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. 
That's a great one. Um, I, I'll, I'll start with, I feel like uh, most of the time when uh, folks are trying to figure out if they need uh, DIB within their place, when their workplace, they look at, they start with that piece of uh, management, which we've talked about before, or leadership. If they feel like um, the representation is not there across their leadership teams, then, oh, they must need DEIB or a DEI framework with an organization. And that's not always true. I think that um, if you, if you, it can start just from the bottom up or top down. Uh, if you're in your workplace or you're in the lunchroom or wherever you are, and you hear conversations of your um, people of color or your underrepresented groups, and they're talking about their experience of maybe someone has uh, said a microaggression to them. Maybe someone has asked them a question about their religion or background that should not have definitely been asked in the workplace. Um, those are some definitely telltale signs that we need to be having some different conversations or trainings within this place. Um, and then also uh, high turnover rates. Like if people are consistently in and out, then there's there's something going on. Like, you know, um, so those are some, you know, small and uh, really easy ways to tell if a company or business needs to uh, look into some DIB programs. Yeah, those are really great points. Cause I think that there is a difference between, and I would even encourage people to ask a different question, but mm -hmm. there are highlights of you need a DEIB program. Like you just said, you mm -hmm. have high retention or you have low retention, you have high low turnover. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the disparity between your junior individual contributors and your senior individual mm -hmm. or yeah, senior individual contributors, but then also leadership? Do mm -hmm. you have people from diverse backgrounds and perspectives and gender and race and all of those different pieces that are a part of diversity represented mm -hmm. within the entire organization in a ratio that reflects the way our country mm -hmm. looks and yeah. more so than just your individual area. But they think the other question too is, it's not, how do I know I need a DEI program? Mm -hmm. Why would you want a DEIB program? Right, what would right. be beneficial to you, to your company, to your employees about mm -hmm. having DEIB programs and starting with that question versus waiting until you're forced to do something? Right. Yeah. And I and I think that, you know, there's these companies that are doing it well. And that's why I say, you know, asking the question of why would it why would you need it and what would be beneficial for your employees? That's when that's when I always say work with other companies to ask the questions of how it's beneficial to them. Um, you can do a, a simple, small uh mixer or something like that and you will be able to see why it could be beneficial um for your business to to be able to, to put into work a DIB program. Um, I will also you know go on the flip side of my statement I said earlier of say you do have a DIB program already in your organization and uh you know you have your chief diversity officer that is an African American man However, he has been fully checked out at some point. I can definitely assure you that means not the DIB program that you already have in place now needs some reworking. There are some things that we need to be having a different type of conversation of how to continue to move forward, how to, to continue to move to the next phase, and how to um, continue the work that we're already doing within the work. 
Mm-hmm. That brings up a really interesting point, and I think that that could be its own episode. What happens mm-hmm. when your diversity, equity, and inclusion leader is checked uh-huh. out and disengaged? Mm-hmm. Because yep. that is a huge, huge red flag that mm-hmm. your organization is not actually supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yep. People don't yeah. disengage for the sake of disengagement. There's a reason. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I'm like, there's in those meetings that we. Attitude, there's definitely a conversation being had or statements being made that we are not privy to. And that's when you know that um, things are getting shut down that probably should not be getting shut down, which again, lowers morale, lower, and it does not, and it definitely affects the culture of the organization. And it's, it's essentially not a good look for moving forward for your DIB programs. Yeah. Well, because that also says that the psychological safety has been eroded and mm-hmm. probably don't know what's going on because I would say that some of the pushback you'll probably hear from HR leaders or mm-hmm. from the executive team is we don't have a problem here. We don't have microaggressions mm-hmm. here. Everybody mm-hmm. feels valued and welcome. Yep. But just because people aren't telling you there's mm-hmm. a problem, silence also communicates when there's a problem. Absolutely. Communicates when there's a problem. Like there's other signs that you have a problem that aren't Mm -hmm. people saying, hey, we have a problem. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Mm -hmm. I think waiting for people to say, hey, we have a problem, that's that's unrealistic because- No one's going to say it. (laughs) No one's going to say we have a problem, especially like people who- um, if they if they've seen the growth of the business, if they've seen, if they've been there when it started, like every they're always gonna pretend like, oh, it's it's great, it's no problem here. And if somebody's sitting there telling you, you talk about gaslighting, <laughs> that that's gaslighting at its finest. Like, mm. well, and so I think the feedback rate right, that comes through the pushback that we would mm-hmm. hear is, hey. We've asked for feedback. We at, we do surveys. We ask people. We tell people all the time that we want to hear from them and their their opinions matter and that it's valuable. Mm-hmm. And either nobody responds or all they do is complain. Mm-hmm. I say you, Houston, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Those complaints happens, are your problems. <laughs> yeah. And so then you 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 take that. Kate, nobody's responding. Mm-hmm. And if they do respond, it's just a complaint. Great. Let's take that information. What else Mm -hmm. might we look at? Mm -hmm. What does our turnover rate look like? Mm -hmm. Who's Mm -hmm. turning over? Are people Mm -hmm. of color or women or LGBTQIA people leaving this organization faster Mm -hmm. than others? Or are you even recording all of that information? Because that's another part. Like they may not even be recording that, which is another issue. You know, Mm -hmm. are you, are you asking over the last um, six months, I've looked at a lot of applications that actually ask, um, wh- how do you identify, which community do you identify with, which I think is fantastic, which lets me know that they are actually trying to make sure to consider everyone that they are bringing on or bringing into their organization. So, you know, are you even recording that information, which is a problem in and of itself? Um, and because if you are keeping track, it lets, you know, the person know um, that, when we are having these conversations about diversity, we are actually implementing these initiatives. So, you know, moving forward, when we know this information, we're going to use it to understand who works for this organization and how can we make sure they feel included uh, during their time here 
in this space. And I want to highlight, what does that look like for small and medium-sized companies? Because data collection for a large company happens all the time, right? They've probably gotten to a place where they've got everything, that they're asking all the questions, they're just collecting massive amounts of data from their employees. Mm -hmm. That's not so easy on the small to medium size, and they may not have the infrastructure for that yet. What would you say to them? Great question. Um, you know, I... This that's where I, I start to think about the HR teams or if they have a DEI person in their HR teams, because usually that means the HR director or manager and or generalists are all collecting that data together. Um, and for me, when, especially when it's a smaller organization, it makes me nervous because that means something else is falling by the wayside, right? Like if they, they're collecting a ton of data, they're they're doing benefits, they're doing payroll sometimes if they don't have a fine, uh, their own robust financial team. So um, I, I don't know, take it day by day. Yeah. <laughs> and that may not be the good answer, but it's important to collect the data. So I'm not going to tell you not to, like you, you need to, if you want to make sure to create a good culture and make sure uh, DIB is is a um, has is starting to get a strong foundation, and you're also starting to build it within the organization. Then you need to get that information and do it in a way that's going to work for you and everything you already have going on. Mm -hmm. um, most people build it into their. Uh, some people use. Um, uh, ADP, they build into their ADP. And when you're applying for the role, you can put it all within your ADP and it comes out in a report automatically. Uh, some people use it in their other HRIS systems and they can build it in that way and they can, uh, it creates a report automatically that way as well. So there's easy ways to do it, um, but also you have to make sure to keep track of it. So if you're a small organization, so that small and mighty mighty HR team or that one DI coordinator, then, uh, you know, you have to kind of spread the love within the teams and try to make sure everyone's keeping track of that data. That's mm -hmm. the long of what I would say to uh, the smaller teams. Yeah, it is important. And I think that, yes, the smaller teams, they are doing a lot of things. They are trying to keep a lot of different balls in the air, but knowing, okay, what is the most important demographic data that we want to be tracking and for what? Because knowing that is also important to help you decide what it is that you're tracking, but also communicating out how you're going to keep that kind of stuff confidential. How are you communicating to these historically marginalized communities that you're not going to use that against them or to harm them? Because that can also impact the data you're trying to collect that mm -hmm. you don't really have that trust there yet. So they're like, why are you asking about all of these things? Like, I don't know if I want to share that because in the past it's been used against me. So there's lots of different pieces to keep in mind there. And if you're just implementing it into your company, go slow, right? Mm -hmm. Do it methodically, thinking about mm -hmm. it, being purposeful and intentional with every choice that you make, which is why DEI consultants and coaches exist. And they're Hi. around to help. Exactly. <laughs> Shameless plug. You're welcome. Shameless plug, yes. <laughs> uh, so then some other pushback. 
right? And I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, but more, how would I know if there is unequal access to promotions, training, or recognition, right? The response, like everybody has access. Everybody knows what our benefits are. Everybody can see the job postings. Like I can't force people to be interested in growth if they're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, are they, are they um, applying for these things? Are they actually um, putting in the work to complete these things? Like, you know, yeah, we know you have, you say you have an equal, but why do you have 300 employees and only 50 have signed up for some of these things? Why do you not have a full robust understanding of all of the demographic data of your organization? Um, why the salary uh, thing, the salary survey that you're conducting is not covering everybody of the organization, you know? So it's, it's those little telltale signs that you know that there's clearly something happening uh, when it comes to whatever initiatives that you have into the organization that could tell, let us know as the consultants that there's something here. You're not telling me everything. So either you can give me the data and I can look through it and comb through it, or you can just tell me right now. <laughs> and I think especially right going back, if we're focusing in on the smaller to medium-sized organizations, because I also think this stuff scales up. The mm -hmm. foundational holes that are there when you were small to medium-sized still exist when you've scaled to mm -hmm. the large size. And they just become bigger and bigger holes. Yeah. But the question is, like, how do I know if there's unequal access to promotions? Well, who's getting promoted? That's right. Let's start there. Who's getting promoted? Is it a disproportional rate to the makeup of your organization? Because mm -hmm. that's going to highlight right there. That gives you the question, okay, why? Like, if you mm -hmm. do find that there is a disproportionate rate of white men or white men presenting people getting promoted at higher rates than anybody else in the organization, that should prompt a question of why. Yeah. Or, and how are you sharing this information, right? Because yeah. the number of times that I've seen promotions happen and they, they'll, they'll, they'll share one promotion, but they won't share the other ones. It's all in secret which also when you talk about uh, conducting salary and compensation analysts, more than likely the other person who they're not saying is getting promoted is probably not, they're not telling it because they're paying them the same amount that they were when they were doing their other job, which mm -hmm. is another telltale sign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like with the training, who's taking the trainings? Who's not, mm -hmm. right? The absence of is also a good highlight of maybe you don't have as equitable of access as you think that you do. Mm -hmm. And the other cultural understanding of how people show up. If you were enculturated as a white man, you mm -hmm. have been taught something different than if you were enculturated as a white woman, as a woman mm -hmm. of color, as somebody from the LGBTQIA community. It could also be other racial or ethnic enculturation that affect how you show up at work. If you were taught that if your boss wants you for the job, they'll ask you to apply. Mm -hmm. You're not going to go after positions. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if you've been told, hey, like you raise your hand, I'm interested. And they said, you're not ready. You're not mm -hmm. ready. You're yeah. not ready and you don't apply yeah. and you don't try. Yeah. And so yeah. what's happening within the organization that's either encouraging or discouraging, even if it's advertent, 
like the intent and impact, like, I don't care. Why aren't people engaging? And that's the question that needs to be asked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's also the other piece of, you know, okay, so maybe people are trying, right. But, and this company has no uh, liable uh, career or professional path for their employees. Mm -hmm. And so then they're getting the pushback of, oh, that wouldn't necessarily be a part of your role, or that wouldn't look good if you apply for multiple roles, which is another toxic statement that happens in the workplace, um, which is a part of the, you know, the DIB programs. If you want to be, you want to create equal, equitable opportunities for everybody, then let them apply to whatever they feel like they can apply for. Mm -hmm. Or if you think that it could be something that may not look good, then navigate them to the right course that will be the correct way for them to, uh, to get down their career path that they want to go down. And don't forget about that sneaky bias and asking mm -hmm. yourself, am I saying that this isn't a fit for this person because it really isn't a fit? Uh -huh. Or because I have bias showing up or because I have self-serving purposes that I don't want to lose this person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So being aware of those things and those thoughts and how they turn into actions and they affect everybody within the company. Yep. So then another question, like what does lack of inclusion even look like? How would I know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, the lack of representation, lack of uh the, the lack of being able to see who's there providing their feedback, providing their thoughts. Um, again, having, talking about the demographic data, um, are we, are we inviting them in to this space? Like how many, how many folks do we have? And is it different? Is it different uh, backgrounds? If it is a different ethnicities, is it different races? Is it different gender? Is it, you know, making, that's what inclusivity looks like. It's having all different types of people included. I think too, looking at how do people show up over time mm -hmm. is a really good indicator of your how inclusive your environment is. So let's say you have people from diverse backgrounds that come into the organization. How do they come in initially? Once they mm -hmm. settle, how do they show up? And then what happens after they're there for a while? So just a, a common trajectory, right? Somebody comes into the organization, they're a little bit cautious, they're a little bit quiet, they're just kind of getting the lay of the land. What's going on here? How is this culture set up? How do I fit into it? That's a very common way for people to come into an organization, especially if they've been harmed by previous organizations. And then let's say they start to test the water, like, okay, I'm going to speak up in this meeting, I'm going to share my thoughts, I'm going to push back a little bit here. How did they get responded to? And do they keep sharing their thoughts, their perspectives, and engaging in the conversation, or do they stop? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if they stop, that's a telltale sign that it wasn't welcome, it wasn't mm -hmm. open, it wasn't received. And so do you actually have a culture of innovation and a culture of growth that allow people with differing perspectives to come in and share their thoughts? Yeah, yeah. And you can, you can definitely see it sometimes in meetings where People are continuously getting shut down, and um, and some people do it subtly, some people do it very abruptly, and it can come off just absolutely rude. Um, but yeah, I 
I can't tell you how many times I've seen this happen a number of times, especially with running like employee resource groups or employee network groups where we bring in leadership to um, to have these conversations of what programs will work, what programs will not work within our uh, DIB um, programming. And these leaders are shutting down employees. So, you know, with you seeing that, how do you then speak up for a person when you're seeing that happen? Or how do you step in and confront those leaders and let them know that that's not okay? That that's literally goes against what we were talking about when we're implementing DIB initiatives within the organization. Yeah, and that's a great call out for how to be an ally. Mm-hmm. Right? If you recognize I am in a position in which I can say something, I can make mm-hmm. this better for someone else. Mm-hmm. First, ask the person if they want help because they may not. They mm-hmm. That may cause more harm and they get upset. So have the conversation with the person. Hey, I've noticed this is happening in meetings and this is how I'm perceiving what's occurring. Mm-hmm. What is your experience? Right. Do you want help? Here's how I can help. Right. And if they don't want help, right, how do you create just a generalized pushback of, mm-hmm. hey, I think... Sarah was talking. I'd really like to hear what she had to say. Mm-hmm. Opening up space like that for people to speak. Mm-hmm. Or if you know they had a good idea, hey, I, I know that Jonathan had a really good idea about this and he shared it with me. Uh, I'm happy to share about it, but Jonathan, would you like to, what we talked about the other day, right? Opening up that space is a way to be a good ally as well. Um, and then I had a thought and it it disappeared. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it is. <laughs> No worries. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is isolation. Okay. And how would I know people feel isolated or excluded if they don't tell us? First mm-hmm. of all, they're probably not going to. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if you have somebody who is willing to tell you, that's great. Celebrate that. That's amazing. That's a very brave person. Most people aren't going to say anything. What I want, what I would ask. So let's, let's unpack the isolation a little bit, right? What... What would you say in the workplace, what does isolation look like? What would you say that looks like for a person, especially for someone that is um, underrepresented or of a BIPOC uh, community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it also looks a little bit different if you have an in-office, if you have Mm -hmm. hybrid, or you have Mm -hmm. remote. Yep. And the first thing that I would highlight is your experience of this person has it changed? Have you mm-hmm. noticed how they show up in the organization shift over mm-hmm. a period of time? Mm-hmm. Because if it's not different, if that's how they've always showed up, you may have something else that's going on, right? Like, oh, they've always been quiet in meetings. Great. That's not a behavior shift. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe they don't feel comfortable sharing, so they haven't really come out in the open and like sharing in meetings, but it also could be they're more of an internal processor. It could be that they're more introverted. It could be that they're just more quiet, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that they're feeling isolated, Mm -hmm. but is there a behavior shift, I think, is the big one that shows up. They were showing up in a certain way. You saw them behaving, interacting, engaging, and that's changed. Yep. And that's exactly why I asked that, because I wanted to make sure that we were clear on what that looks like in person and virtual. Um, There has been, you know, I would I would go ahead and say that 
make sure to be eyeing your group chats mm -hmm. and work group chats. If you all have anybody who's listening, if you have a work group chat, make sure you're looking at everybody who's in it, how they're responding to folks, because that is another isolation uh, telltale sign as well. Um, feeling left out or they someone asked a question, no one answered, then they just decided not to ask questions or mm -hmm. they're not responding um, at all or they're not sending any messages and you have a meeting and the person's like, I'm so behind on work. And well, why didn't you mention anything? Well, I did, but then I was badgered in the group messages, <laughs> you know, for work. And it's, and it, that's a telltale sign that again, no one is, um, not only are you not being inclusive of people who have questions and maybe it's a new hire, maybe it's not, but you need to make sure that you're keeping an eye on those, those people and how they are showing up continuously in the workplace, whether in person or uh, virtual. Yeah, I love your highlight there of the, the asking questions or asking for help. I actually had a client share with me the other day. Uh, they are new to an organization. They're in a leadership position and they keep hearing from people, oh, you know, loop me into the meeting. I'm happy to come in and support. Like, let me know, let me know, let me know. How can I help, right? And making all of these offers for help as soon as they actually ask somebody to join a meeting and it happened on multiple occasions across multiple people, crickets, right? So don't offer help if you're not willing to give it Yeah, because that erodes psychological safety and trust in the organization and shows that, ah, what you say and what you do are not the same thing. So I can't ask for help is what that communicates. Yeah. And being aware of, are those things happening? Is everybody saying they're very willing to help, saying they're open, saying all of these things, but actions are different because how people perceive like the action and it impacts mm -hmm. them, that mm -hmm. can create isolation as well. And, and, you know, that's also the, and vice versa, right? Like people have to we have to get out of the mindset of if they're the manager or the leader or director, they must know everything about what's going on. That mm -hmm. is the most wrong and, and incorrect thought mm -hmm. process in ever, ever in any career. Absolutely. We, we, even as, you know, DEI um, consultants, we we do a lot of research to understand what it is that the organization needs. We make sure that we're up to date on what's going on in the DEI programs, in the DEI world, and, and in my book, in the HR world as well. So, you know, the expectation of that we must know every single thing is not correct. We do a lot of work to make sure we know what we can do to help and to be able to improve processes and organizations. And that is the same for your managers, your directors, your chief vice presidents, officers, and mm -hmm. everybody. Uh, it's always a learning process. Absolutely. And I, I love what you just said about, you think that they know mm -hmm. that the opposite is true. Correct. The higher you get up in the organization, the less likely the less... to talk to you, the less likely they are to be honest with you, even if they do talk to you. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself, the higher you get up is isolating, but it is still, you're still accountable for understanding mm -hmm. what is happening in your organization. And I see mm -hmm. far too often leaders get into this position of, if it was a problem, I would know. Are you looking for it? Are you paying mm -hmm. attention? 
Are you understanding what is actually happening in the organization? Or are you just going off of what people are telling you? Mm -hmm. Because they're not going to tell you, you're going to have to look. And the thing that I highlight that I think is the biggest action that people can take, who isn't speaking up, what isn't being said, and what might you not know? Mm -hmm. Look for the silence, because the silence probably has the most information that you need to know about your organization. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I agree. What other, as we close this episode today, what action steps would you summarize based on the question that we presented at the beginning? What does DEIB mean in the workplace? And more so essentially kind of, how do you create more diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging in the workplace? Yeah, to close it out, I would just say, you know, make sure to, can make sure to, to have your eyes open, essentially, you know, look at what's going on. Um, and look at it with an, an an analytical lens, like, you know, break some things down and understand what's happening. Um, everything, everything isn't very surface always. Uh, sometimes they can be, like I mentioned uh, at the questions of, you know, what does inclusivity look like? Um, and when we talked in the beginning of how do we know if a DIB needs to if, if a company needs a DIB program, sometimes those things can be surfaced, but it's not always the case. So, you know, keep your eyes open and your ears too. You never know what conversations are happening, happening in your coffee, your coffee room, your copy rooms. Um, those are also telltale signs. Um, getting that feedback is always important. And I always say this, uh, and you, and if you're not getting the feedback that you need, then that is another telltale sign of uh, there's something that you need to, to do uh, within your orgs. Um, and lastly, I would just say, you know, looking at your overall engagement of the organization, who's there, who's, who's speaking up in those meetings, who's coming to uh, the luncheons or whatever it is that you're doing as far as social gatherings within your org, or if there is even social gatherings, which... I think there's a very big misconception that social gatherings mean there needs to be alcohol and all those things, and that is not always the case. Um, a social gathering can just be a simple pizza lunch or something else. Um, but it's you want to make sure you have that community engagement because that also builds on your psychological safety as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just kind of creating a conclusion off of the actions that you said, you know, what does it mean? What does DEIB mean in the workplace? It means creating an organization in which all of your people feel like they can be their fullest selves mm-hmm. and the organization can thrive. And mm-hmm. how do you do that? Like you just said, you get feedback, you look at the data, like what's mm-hmm. happening in the organization and you create opportunity for people to show up. Correct. Yeah. Well, thank you for another great episode. I appreciate you being here and I'm excited for next week. Uh, Do you have any closing thoughts before we go? No, enjoy yourselves. Um, I know at the time this comes out, it'll be later in the month, but we're recording during Hispanic Heritage Month. So if you hear this, happy Hispanic Heritage Month. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you all soon. Bye. As the sun sets on another episode of Equity Evolution, remember that we all play a crucial role in our global economic ecosystem, no matter how big or small. Are you still curious about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? 
Join us next time as we explore another question about DEIB, or you can go to our website, the-disruptors.us, for more resources. Until our paths cross again, keep questioning, growing, and championing the harmony of equity and belonging. If you found this episode helpful, please rate and subscribe so that we can reach others who need help too. Thank you.